If you don't like today's sermon, then you should go back and listen to last week's sermon. Today's sermon is Faith is Political. Last week's sermon was Faith and Politics Don't Mix. Our scripture today comes from the prophet Jeremiah, who lived in a time when the people were facing both a spiritual and a political crisis. It's about 600 years before the time of Jesus, and the people of God are uncertain about how to live through this phase of political upheaval and social ambiguity. Jeremiah offers them words of hope and an action plan. Hear these words from the prophet Jeremiah from chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. May God bless this reading to our understanding. My friend told me about the first election day when he and his wife were just married, just newlyweds. They were still living in the college town where they were finishing some academic work, and both of them were registered to vote back in their home state. So on election day, they got up, they drove the four and a half to five hours back to their hometown. Both of them went to their polling places and voted, and then they got in the car for the four and a half to five hour drive back. And that is when they discovered that their votes had canceled one another's votes out. So I ask you, was it a waste of time for them to spend that 10 hours in the car? Did it do any good? When Dwight Eisenhower became president, he said that he was convinced that his mission as our president was to restore the nation's spirituality. And indeed, he was baptized on the Sunday following Inauguration Day. Did it do any good for Eisenhower to seek to integrate his faith with his political leadership? What role does politics play in our lives as Christian people. A recent headline claimed that politics has moved from being an uncomfortable topic to being a toxic topic. Even the basic building block of our democracy seems so fragile because some among us claim that the last election was rigged and others among us worry that voting rights are at risk for citizens who are legally registered to vote. There seems to be more than enough misinformation to go around so that we now have fact checkers, as if the truth would not always be told by our political leaders. Even a virus has been politicized. Does it do any good then for us to engage in the messy political landscape of our own time? We are told that many of the young among us don't even bother registering to vote because they don't think that it matters, that their voice matters. They don't trust in the political system. And these, even those of us who are politically active and dutifully vote in every election, sometimes lament 
the state of the polarization, the dishonesty, the bitter rhetoric, and the grossly unethical practices that are accepted now in American politics. You and I, we are people of faith. We believe in a God of justice and love and hope and compassion. So, is it possible that we will retreat into a private form of spirituality, keep our heads down, mind our own business, participate generously in charitable causes, and pray for the world, but sit outside of the realm of the culture's messy political landscape? Or, if we do jump into the political soup of our time, will it actually make a difference? Today's scripture lesson is a letter. It comes from the prophet Jeremiah, who writes to this community of people who are facing a political crisis. Jeremiah, Jeremiah knows that the people of God are at, at the end of their rope. They have lost hope. They live in these ambiguous times, and the part of the letter that we read this morning comes in the form of advice. Jeremiah says to God's people, seek the welfare of the city. The word for city in Greek is polis, which is the root word for our word politics. Politics is simply the affairs of the city. Last month, Dave and I were in Athens, Greece, and we vis visited the obligatory tourist attraction, the Acropolis. And of course, the tour guide ex explains to us that the Acropolis is the high point of the city, the polis. And in all the cities in which we have lived, we enjoy the strength and the, the goodness of police protection, police coming from that word polis. Too often we equate politics with partisanship. When you hear the word politics, you think Republican or Democrat, left or right, conservative or liberal, oath keepers in Washington, D.C., or the violent protesters in Portland. But politics really is about the common good. What works for us, for our community, for our neighborhood, for our city, for our nation, for our state, for our planet. Not just what works for me, not just what works for you. What works for us, the common good? Jesus echoes Jeremiah. When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, they didn't just hear, oh, here's a nice Bible story coming about kindness. They heard a story with political reverberations because the Samaritans were their political enemies. Saying the good Samaritan is like saying the good member of the Taliban. It would raise everyone's hackles when Jesus started telling that story. And Jesus was always teaching them to love your neighbor as yourself and to make sure that they understood who the neighbor was. He told them stories like the one about the separation of the sheep and the goats. He said the sheep are those who care for the poor and the prisoner, and the goats are those who turned away from the sick and the hungry. And the people respond to Jesus when he tells this story, and he says, they say to Jesus, when did we see you hungry or naked or in prison and not welcome you? And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of me, these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Jesus is telling them a story about the people in the city 
the polis, those who are marginalized and neglected by the city. And Jesus, when he is executed, is executed as a political prisoner would have been executed on a cross. Jesus cares about the city, the people of the city, especially those who fall into that category, the least of these. And when Jesus is near the end of his ministry, in fact, near the end of his life, he laments, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. So this week, when you and I vote, when we put on that little sticker, we will be caring about the common good. And that sticker is more than our civic pride. That sticker is a mark of our Christian faith that we are the ones who have heard the message of Jesus and Jeremiah to seek the welfare of the city, the polis. But can we then just check a box and say, went to church on Sunday, done. Voted on Tuesday, done. Or is there more? Allison McKinney Tim was a lawyer. She was working at the beginning of her career in California in the juvenile justice system, and she became involved in the issues around human trafficking around the globe. She did a fellowship at Yale Law School, but while she was there studying law, she realized that what really kept her up at night, what really mattered to her more than the legal code, was the Christian ethics underlying the law. And so she left the law school, and she walked up the hill to the divinity school, and she describes that moment when she knew that her Baptist upbringing would compel her to work for the human rights of all people. She was traveling. She was in Rwanda at an orphanage, and the children in the orphanage were all missing limbs or had machete scars on their, on their bodies. And the children, the wounded ones, the victims of human trafficking and war, they were singing. She said people had tried to take their lives, and yet they were worshiping a God and singing about love and redemption. She said it was the most inspiring moment of my entire life, and I decided if these children could still sing, then I could spend the rest of my life working to make justice for all of God's children. What about us? Does our faith compel us to seek the welfare of the city? Or do we have a tendency to shrink back into a private personal spirituality that allows our city to continue to languish and suffer? Ben Spaulding is a local church musician here in Kansas City and also the director of Spire Chamber Ensemble. They did an amazing packed house concert here in our sanctuary last November. Last Sunday, they had another concert. It was downtown at St. Mary's, an incredible concert that Dave and I got to attend in between worship and trunk or treat. We scooted down there, and these singers come from all over the nation. They are uh, members of different university faculties and and students, uh, advanced level students in music, just incredible musicians. And as they sang the classical works, people applauded and were enthusiastic until they sang the last piece. And when they finished, 
No one clapped. No one moved. No one breathed. We were stunned because the piece that they had just sung was called The Seven Last Words of an Unarmed Man. The composer, a young man, had taken the last words spoken or written by those who were killed in our own nation by either an authority figure or police and set those words to music. It was haunting, absolutely haunting, to hear these beautiful voices sing, I can't breathe, stop, don't shoot, I don't have a gun. And the one that got to me was, Mama, I'm going to go to college. Afterwards, I asked Ben, how did you decide to, to sing that piece? And he told me the story of a member of the choir, a black man who was traveling in a city. He was out walking on the streets, and he had forgotten both his watch and his phone, and the sun began to set, and he wasn't sure what time it was, and he got lost, and so he walked up to two white policemen and asked them, what time is it? And when he got to them, they had already drawn their guns. He said that experience of a member of our choir shook me to the core and I realized music has the capacity to reach into our hearts and awaken us. But then Ben told me that when they decided to sing the piece, they got hate mail and their funders, some of them, backed out. I ask you, does it do any good to seek the welfare of the city by singing a song or is that just a waste of time. I think this is the same question that Jeremiah's contemporaries wrestled with 600 years before the time of Jesus. And Jeremiah writes to them saying, seek the welfare of the city. And Jeremiah is writing to people who are not in their hometowns. They have already been exiled and sent away from their home of Jerusalem to live in the land of Babylon. Jeremiah writes from Jerusalem, but he addresses the letter to the people of Babylon, those people that Babylon deported when they captured Jerusalem. Babylon took in that first deportation the best and the brightest, the neuroscientists, the symphony conductor, the CEO of Cerner and Google, the stockbrokers, the city council members, and now these great leaders of Jerusalem are living as exiles in Babylon. They don't know the language, they don't know the culture, they don't practice the religion. And Jeremiah writes to this homesick group of God's people and says, seek the welfare of the city of Babylon. He is not asking them to care for New York City, but for Moscow, not for Kansas City, but for Mexico City. Why? Why would Jeremiah dare to ask them, while they are exiles, to plant vineyards and build homes and marry and raise families? Why would he say to them, seek the welfare of the city that is not yours? There were other prophets with a different message. Those prophets said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Babylon will soon fall. You'll be home, so just wait it out. And Jeremiah says, that is fake news. Here's what you need to do. Seek the common good where you live right now. Why? Why does Jeremiah preach that? 
He says, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And that word welfare is really the word shalom or peace. In its peace, you will find your peace. Our faith and our politics are two threads of the same loom of God's peace in our everyday real lives. Do you remember a few years back, there was this news story that captured all of our attention. It was when Aleppo, Syria was bombed and the rescue workers that bravely came in found a little boy named Omron on a pile of rubble and they rushed him to an ambulance. And Omron's picture being carried by those brave rescue workers was on the front page of all the newspapers. It was on our television screens. And a little boy here in the US named Alex saw that picture just like you and I did. He wrote a letter to then President Obama and he said, Remember that boy who was picked up by the ambulance in Syria? Can you please go and get him and bring him to my house? He said, park in the driveway or on the street, and we will be waiting for you with flags and balloons and flowers, and we will give him a family, and he will be our brother. And in my school, I have a friend from Syria named Omar, and I will introduce him to Omar, and we can all play together. We can invite him to birthday parties, and he will teach us another language, and we will teach him English, just like my friend Ato from Japan. Since he won't bring toys and doesn't have toys, Catherine will share her big blue stripy white bunny, and I will share my bike, and I will teach him how to ride it, and I will teach him additions and subtractions. I want to have a heart like that little boy's, in seeking the shalom of another who found his own shalom.